again uh, to the Graceport family and to the Freedom family. Welcome to Freedom. We're so glad to have you here today. And we're happy to have uh, many others who are joining us online. We're always glad to have you be a part of worship in that way, whether you're catching us on Facebook or YouTube or through the website. Thank you so much for tuning in. We greet friends not only around Baldwin County, but folks who are scattered from Florida to California to Japan and the U.K. and uh, different parts of Europe and in Africa, and especially to our friends in Africa, to Freedom Church and Sapala in particular. Uh, we greet you, uh, Pastor Isaiah and Christiana and all the team there. We celebrate what God is doing there. Well, it's starting to feel a little bit more normal around here, isn't it? It feels good. It'll feel better when we all can take these things off at the same time, but... Uh, even with those on, it just feels good to be together. Thank you so much for being flexible. I know we've got to weather this for probably a few more months, but uh, thank you so much for your flexibility. And I know everybody's got different opinions about these things. The one thing we can agree on is we're sick and tired of them. But thanks for being willing to put them on for an hour. And by doing that, you are declaring to everybody around you, I love you and I value you and I want to keep you safe. Thank you for how you, you do that. I don't know about you, but I have just enjoyed the daylights out of the month of July of getting to worship together, Freedom Church and Graceport Church, and I'm really glad to have you. Yes, it, it has been very good. I am just so excited about what God is doing. Uh, I see him at work in so many places right now, and I know we live in a time right now that people are exhausted and discouraged, and a lot of people are frightened. And wondering what is going on, is this the end of time, you know, what is happening in the world. And the Freedom Church folks here are probably fixing to think that it is the end of time, that it is the apocalypse, because you're about to hear me preach a really short sermon, which has to mean that the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been released. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to preach a very short sermon because we're doing something different today. I'm going to conclude the uh, outrageous series, and about halfway through today, I'm going to wind up the message, and Pastor Brad and I are going to just both take some time to share with you what we believe that God is saying and doing, and, and I look forward to being able to share that with you. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. As I said, we're wrapping up this series entitled, That's Outrageous. If you haven't been with us for the past four weeks... The whole series has just been about the fact that we are living in what sure feels like an age of outrage where people are so stirred up, so angry, upset over just a variety of different issues. And how should we respond in such an age of outrage? And we've been looking at what our calling as the followers of Jesus really looks like and some of the outrageous things that we're called to really focus our lives on that really stands out in a season like what we're in right now. We've talked about things like demonstrating outrageous kindness and an outrageous commitment to community and an, an outrageous lifestyle of selflessness and sacrifice. And what we're going to conclude with today is focusing on outrageous openness. I know we've all heard this before. I mean, in fact, I'm sure you can finish the sentence for me. If you had to summarize the number one complaint that unchurched people have about church people that that the, the reason that they don't like christians is because they're all a bunch of i didn't even have to cue you you've heard this apparently we've all heard that now i used to get kind of offended when i would hear people say that and the the more that i thought about it the less i'm offended and the more i can appreciate 
why I think people are saying that and, and maybe how we should respond. We're tempted to think when people say that, well, you just don't understand us or maybe we just need to try harder at being better people. And I think that the truth of the matter is the reason that the world has accused us of hypocrisy is not because we're so terrible. I think their, their sense is that we're just not real enough, that we're not open enough. That we feel this need to pretend and project a certain kind of image, and they're really put off by that. In truth, aren't you too? I mean, don't you hate being around people that seem plastic and phony, and they, you just get that feeling like if you had a problem, if you had a real crisis, you'd have a hard time ever admitting it because you're supposed to look like you've always got it together. You, you've somehow had it bred into you or socialized into you that you're always supposed to be living the victorious Christian life. And if you've got a a problem, if you're struggling with anxiety or fear or depression or you're having problems with your kids or in your marriage or wherever, that you can't really say that out loud because Christians shouldn't have those problems, right? Can't you begin to appreciate how if that's what we project, that the world would look at us and say, what a bunch of phonies, what a bunch of hypocrites. And the thing that would serve us so well and that would serve the cause of Christ so well is for us to embrace an outrageous level of openness and transparency about our lives so that people could really relate and go, I get that. I understand where they're coming from. And it doesn't mean that we lower the standard of of what we're shooting for in how we live our lives, but that we're real and open people. The passage we're going to look at today, and we're just going to be in it briefly, but I want to set the stage for it quickly. And Paul, as we read through Acts, is on his second missionary journey. He has Timothy and Silas as his helpmates in this journey. And he's been in Philippi, and he's just taken the Via Ignatia to the city of Thessalonica. It's the capital of Macedonia. It's a major city. It's larger than Mobile is today. So in ancient times, this port city is a, is a very important big city. And it is very loyal to Rome, and it is very pagan. And there is no Christian witness whatsoever in this community. There are a lot of Jews there, but there, there is no Christian church whatsoever there. And Paul shows up, and he does, as he always made his custom, he shows up at the Jewish synagogue, and he begins with people who have a frame of reference in the Old Testament Scriptures. He begins to share with them about the reality of who God is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and how he has made himself known ultimately through his son, the anointed Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. And he explains why that Messiah had to do the things that he did, why he had to suffer and die and be raised from the dead, and how with his sacrificial death, he paid the price for all of our sins, that with his resurrection, he demonstrated that God accepted that sacrifice and that he now offers us life, forgiveness, acceptance as the sons and daughters of God, that we're now joint heirs with Jesus, and all of this other good news. And so the Jewish audience that's hearing this is divided. Some think this is absolute heresy, and others are just moved by that, and they they place their faith in Jesus. And so over the span of just three short weeks, many of the Jews in Thessalonica are converted, but that spills over into the Gentile community, and there are lots of Gentiles who come to faith in Christ. But after three weeks, as so often happened wherever Paul would go in and minister, the Jews who were not converted, who were offended by Paul's message and who thought it was heresy, they got together, they formed a mob, and they went to the home where Paul and his companions had been staying with a man named Jason. And they besieged that home, and they drug out Jason and those who were with him. Thankfully, Paul and the other two were not there. But they hauled them off, and and it looked like they might be 
beaten to death or stoned or something, but they ended up being carried before the authorities and accused. And it was a bad scene. Jason was able to post bail, basically, and allowed to go that night. They, the Christians went back and they said, Paul, you and, and the other two, y'all have got to get out of town. You've got to leave tonight. And so they left town. And the great concern, as you can imagine, was this. We've only had three weeks with these folks. Three weeks. We don't have Bibles to give them. There is no New Testament written. Can you imagine people immersed in a pagan community where there can't be any, any other king or god except Caesar alone, and you've introduced them to a, a new god and a new faith, and now after three weeks you've had to leave them. So this has been weighing on Paul, and, and now some weeks and months have passed, and he's just been praying, praying, praying for these new believers and wondering what's going to happen. Are they even going to stay together? Will they hold on to their faith? What's going to happen? And when he just couldn't stand it any longer, he sent Timothy his, his understudy back and said, please go and find out what you can about how these young believers are doing. And so it took quite a while for Timothy to go back and spend time with them and finally work his way back to link up with Paul again. And when he got back, he said, sir, you are not going to believe this. The church not only has survived, they're not just getting by, they are thriving. They are exploding. And the, the wild thing is, I didn't have to wait until I got to Thessalonica to find this out because the news of what God is doing in Thessalonica has spread to every other city in the region. In fact, it has spilled over beyond Macedonia into other parts of the country. And everywhere they're talking about what God is doing among the followers of the way in Thessalonica. And Paul is just jacked beyond words going, this is great. God is good. And so now he sits down to pen a letter to express his joy to them for what has happened in their lives and in their community. And so that's what we're reading in 1 Thessalonians 1 when Paul says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the, Thessal uh, the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And now here's the key verse for us today. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. And they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath says a lot there. You just can't help but hear his excitement, his joy at what's going on with him. But the, the one thought more than any other I want to home in on for just a couple of minutes is how he says in verse 7, you became a model to all the believers. That, that word model, it, it calls to mind the, the term that we see when we pass by a new neighborhood and there's a model home available. You've seen that lots of times. It's an open house. You know, it's one thing to drive through a neighborhood and say, well, those are pretty nice 
looking houses, but you can't tell but so much from the street, can you? I mean, it's easy enough to make a new house look good from the street, but it's a whole different deal when you get to walk in the door and you see what the, the finishes are really like. Did they use granite? Is there any crown molding? Is it hardwood floors or is it cheap carpet? You've you got to go inside to find out really what a home is like. And so that's why it's a big deal when a neighborhood says, model, open house. It's an invitation to come in and check it out and see what these houses are really like that are being made here. And what Paul points out that helps to answer the question of how. I mean, surely you've got to be with me and saying, how in the world could people who have only heard of Jesus for three weeks? I mean, they've never heard of Jesus before. They don't know anything of what we know of the New Testament. And yet they not only come to faith, they become the, the biggest movers and shakers in the entire region in sharing their faith and in bringing the kingdom of God to different people in different places. And don't you wonder with me, how in the world? I mean, as pastors, how many years do we invest in places and with people and, and you sometimes sit back after five or ten years and go, hmm, are we making any progress? Can you imagine, Brad, after three weeks going, man, revival's just going on. The whole region is just turned upside down or upside right. How does that happen with three weeks investment? And here's what I think is the key. Paul and his companions operated with this outrageous level of openness and transparency in their lives where it wasn't just a preached message. It wasn't just a lesson to be taught once a week or every night of the week. They opened their lives completely to these people and they caught that. They never thought of Christianity as something to be expressed in a particular hour of the week on a particular day of the week. It was a 168 hour a week commitment where your life is just an open house all the time you want to know what it looks like to be a follower of jesus come be near me because i'm an open house i'm going to let you see what the whole thing is like and that is contagious it was 2000 years ago and it is today in 2020 so here's the question i want to address in just the last little bit of time here what should that mean for us what should outrageous openness mean for us Three things that I'll point out to you. First of all, if you want to follow in your outline, outrageous openness means that we boldly share what God says and what we are expecting from Him. Paul said in verse 5, you know, when we came, we brought the good news to you. But we came with more than words. We brought that good news with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with the sure knowledge that it was true. We came and we told you what God has done. We told you what God has done in our lives. And we came with the real expectation that He would do the same thing in you. Followers of Jesus, if this is going to be a contagious movement, have got to be bold and open to say out loud what God is saying and doing in our lives and what we're expecting from Him. And that doesn't come very natural for some of us, does it? I mean, does it for you? I'm just going to confess to you. There have been a lot of times in my life where I feel like I have an idea of what it is that God is saying to me or about the church. And sometimes I've been afraid to say that out loud because I don't want to make God look bad. Or maybe it's that I don't want to look bad if what I say doesn't come to fruition. But the longer that I've lived, the more I've realized how important it is that I say out loud what God says to me and what he's doing in me, even if I don't get it all completely right. God's reputation 
is big enough and strong enough that even when I mess up, I don't mess him up. Amen? He, he can handle that. But we need to be open and transparent about what God is saying and what he's doing. Three years ago, I stood up here and said to the Freedom Church family, or I guess maybe it's been two and a half years ago, among other things, I shared on that day, on another day I'll go into this in more detail, but the Freedom family, you'll remember on that day, I, I shared with you that I had an encounter with God where I asked God to just show me what it is he is saying and what he is doing and what he has planned for the church. And the first thing he did was show me a giraffe. By the way, last week Jackie and I were at an estate sale and found a beautiful oil painting of a giraffe. That's why it's out there in the, the foyer. So some of you here are going, what is this out of Africa? Thing? That's, the, that's the reminder for us. On another day, we'll revisit what the, what the giraffe's all about. It was actually a significant word for the church. And a part of, of that message was about how God, God has called us to be a church planting church. And part of the reason that he used the giraffe as a part of that image is that a whole lot of our planting would be taking place in Africa, that we would be reaching people that others couldn't reach. I didn't know how on earth this stuff was supposed to happen, but I had a real strong sense that I was supposed to tell you that in the next 10 years we were supposed to plant at least five churches. Well, we're just a little struggling church on a storefront in Fairhope. How in the world does a little church like us have any hope of planting one church, much less five churches in the next few years? But you see, that doesn't come to fruition if we don't just live transparently enough to take the risk of saying, I think this is what God is saying. And I want to just tell you, this is what I'm expecting because I believe it came from the heart of God. Okay, can I really just mess with you? You know, we just seven weeks ago planted the first Campus of Freedom Church in Sapala, Nigeria. I think that God's already giving a word that we're supposed to plant again next year. We ain't through paying for this year, <laughs> this church. And I think God is already laying the groundwork for what he wants to do next year. I've been struggling with when to say that out loud to you. Well, it's today. I believe that God's going to give us a chance to do that. I'll tell you what else I believe. And this has little to nothing to do with me or any anything about the you know ego in terms of who we are or what we're going to do this is about the call and will of god i believe that god is going to give us an opportunity to have an impact specifically in nigeria that will be measured in tens of thousands of people rather than in dozens or in hundreds i believe god has that kind of anointing for us in a particular area of ministry and it's critical that when we feel like God's speaking on these things, that we're transparent enough to say, this is what I believe God is saying, and this is what I'm expecting from God. Because when we do that, it helps faith to become contagious. When you tell me what God's showing you and what he's put on your heart, and you share that in faith with me, it stirs my faith. Sometimes it doesn't feel like faith in the moment. Sometimes it feels like, I think you're crazy. Sometimes it feels like a little fear and skepticism, but it's amazing with a little bit of time and prayer how much that becomes a contagious faith thing. Job said in Job 12:4, my friends laugh at me when I call on God and expect him to answer me. But isn't it cool how the people who really get to know you over time stop laughing and start saying, when that brother or sister says, this is what God's telling me, I stop and listen. I stop and pray about what they've said. So a starting point is let's be bold in sharing what we hear that God's saying and what we're expecting from him. The second thing about this openness is we share our homes, our meals, our resources, and time with others. 
If we continue on over into chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We just opened up to you. We just spent day and night with you. We were with each other when we ate. We were with each other when we got up in the morning and late into the night, and we just opened everything up to you. And if we want to impact the world around us, we can't continue to live as safe, insulated, isolated people where we substitute real relationships with Facebook and social media relationships, that we must very intentionally reclaim this role of using our homes and our mealtime, just our lives, our resources, our time to invest in the lives of others. You realize how much the culture is pulling us away from that. That is not the norm anymore. People don't like opening their homes. And this, there are a few things that are more first century Christian than sharing your meals and sharing your homes with other people. If we're going to live at an outrageous level of openness, we've got to be willing to do this. Paul said in verse 6 of what we just read, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. But this whole thing of, I'm trying to help you become a follower of Jesus, but the only way that I can do that since Jesus isn't around in the flesh with skin on, for you to to see what that looks like, the best that I can do is let you be around me and you learn what it is to be a follower of Jesus by following my example. And I know people get freaked out by that and say, ooh, I would never say that. Well, you better live it. We better get comfortable with it because this is what we're supposed to do. We dare not say to the world, follow Jesus whom you can't see. What the world needs is to see real people who have successes, victories, progress in their lives, but who also have struggles and problems, who say, you know what, you can watch me if you want to know what Christianity looks like. If you want to know what Jesus looks like on earth, follow my example. I won't always get it right, but I will try to do my best to show you what Jesus would do. It's why Paul says again and again, like what he does in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, when he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And you can't live that out by just saying, come and go to church with me. And if I really like you, I might let you in my small group. Mm-mm. I've got to open my home, my schedule, my mealtime to you. And then the third thing that I'll point out is this. Outrageous openness means that we are open about our pain, our struggles and failures, as well as our victories. Again, the key verse, verse 7 and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I'm convinced that such a big part of this open house approach to life is just being transparent about the good and the bad. Share the victories, share the wins, share the blessings of life, but don't try and hide the struggles. Don't try and mask it when you're going through a very difficult time. People relate so much better to our struggles and pains than they do to our great victories. They can connect with that. They can identify with that. Paul models this so well for us in a couple of passages like Romans 7. I always think of Paul as like Jesus Jr. He sounds like that in the scriptures a lot of times, doesn't he? The super apostle. But Paul said in Romans 7, see if this doesn't sound like your story when he's talking. He says, I want to do what is good, but I don't do it. I don't do the good that I want to do. I do the evil that I don't want to do. How many of you would say, that, that is my story way too much of the time. He's been reading my mail. Thank you, Paul. 
Sometimes I'm, I'm wondering if you ever mess up, but then I read a passage like this and realize Paul's like us. And he was honest about it. I know what I should do, and so many times I don't. And I know the things that I need to avoid, and so many times that's right what I run to. That's the kind of openness that we're talking about. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul's been sharing about this incredible vision that God has given him of what's to come. But he goes on to say, but I must not be too proud of the wonderful things that were shown to me. So a painful problem was given to me. An angel from Satan sent to make me suffer so that I would not think that I'm better than anyone else. I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. But the Lord said, my grace is all you need. Only when you are weak can everything be done completely in my power. So I will gladly boast about my weaknesses and then Christ's power can stay in me. It's a profound passage. He said, you know, I experience these incredible things from God and it'd be easy to get a big head about that. But God also lets me have some real struggles in my life. And he's intentionally vague. Everybody wants to know this. You know, this is the famous thorn in the flesh passage. A messenger from Satan has been, Satan's been sent to buffet me as a thorn in, in the flesh. And when he says I've prayed three times, it doesn't mean three prayers were offered. He's talking about three seasons of his life where he's going, God, please deliver me from this. God, please take this from me. We don't know if it's a physical affliction. We don't know if it's depression or fear or some major temptation or habit or addiction or what. We don't know. And there's a good reason why he... He didn't fill in the, what his specific thing was, but his, his issue was a big issue that tormented him. And God didn't deliver him from it as much as he wanted that. And God said, but that's okay because what you need is not so much to be freed from that as for you to let that cause you to press into me so that you just experience more of my grace. And as you do that, as you walk through your own loss or struggle or, or issue your pain, my grace is more clearly on display to everybody else around you. Because in your pain, in your struggles, even in your failures, my grace is more clearly seen in your life. So, Paul, you, you don't worry about everything being fixed and everything being right. You just continue to cling to my grace. I want to tell you, friends, that kind of faith, that kind of living out of the Christian life is so attractive. It's so winsome. People want that. They long to see true openness. And that's what today is all about. It's fitting that we're talking about openness on a day when we're just going to open up and say, hey, here's where we are. Here's what's been going on. Here's what we're talking about. Here's what we're sensing from God. And we want you to be a part of that dialogue. So I'm going to ask Pastor Brad to come and join me now. And we're going to shift gears. Dave, could you guys do me a favor and just pull up the house lights just a tad? I know there are people out there, but I want to see them. Thank you, my friend. Pull it on. Yeah, that's it. Great. Great, now I can see you better, even with the masks. You look good. A little uncertain? That is looking a little shaky, man. I obviously gave you the wonky one. Don't read anything into that. Take your chances. Sheesh. We've got to get some new stools. 
Yeah, you're, you're, you're the cowboy over there. We thought we'd put you on the bronc. Well, I'm going to just cut to the chase and tell you the short version right here on the front end. And this is probably the biggest not surprise of the day. Uh, we have gotten to the place that, not just speaking for Brad and myself, but for the leadership of both Freedom and Grace Sports, that we feel like there is a very good likelihood that God is leading our two churches to cease to be separate churches and to become one church. And that would involve Grace Sport becoming a part of Freedom Church, Brad becoming a full-time member of the Freedom Church staff, Brad becoming an associate pastor here, and us moving forward not as two congregations meeting at the same time in the same place, but us moving forward as one faith family. And there are a lot of things that I think are going to be wins if we do that. I want to be clear, we're not trying to sell you on anything. We are simply trying to be honest and transparent about exactly where we are right now And today is a call to prayer for everybody here to pray and seek what the Lord is saying. Next week we're going to have a chance to get together and actually talk and hear from you and hear from those of you who are watching and listening online to hear what you're sensing from the Lord and to try and answer the questions that you've got. But that's the thing that we are talking about. It would, it's, I'm just going to say it, it's a costly thing particularly for Graceport because Graceport would cease to be Graceport Church. As a church, it would, it would be this incredible thing of saying, we, we let go of that identity, and we become a part of another church family. And we realize that's a, that's a big thing to consider. That's a significant sacrifice, and that's why we don't take any of this lightly. But we thought it would be helpful in talking with you about that if we could just sort of share the story of how we got to where we are. And it really started with Brad, and Brad was the one who first approached me, I guess, last fall, the first time that this ever came up. So why don't you just kind of walk us through some of that, Brad? Uh, well, um, if you can stay on that stool. I think I think I got things situated. Right? I'm gonna go see if I can find you another one. Okay, okay. don't leave me up here. <laughs> when I got okay. up on this stool, I started looking for a soft place to land. I, can I can I, I trade this? Riding horses, I guess. Can I tr- see if this is any better? Sorry about that. Jumps up there. Well, I think it could be. If you can climb up there. Lighter weight people were sitting in it. It could have been that too. I've gotten some COVID calories. <laughs> <laughs> if you lost weight, I got them. I gained them. Well, so um, it is a longer story, really, than we can tell this morning. But uh, I do want to tell you that uh, just to give you a, a brief. Um, History for some of you who do not know the uh, background. Uh, I was a uh, Baptist pastor, a Baptist growing up, and was first saved and first filled with the Holy Spirit and first called to preach in those circles. Uh, but later, the Lord connected me to the Methodist circles where I served for many years. And so, my last appointment as a Methodist was as an associate pastor where I served for seven years at a church in Mobile. But at the end of that time, um, I felt like the Lord was leading us to launch a teaching ministry. And we thought it would be connected to the Methodist church. It turned out that some things happened to make that impossible. And they were not moral or spiritual or theological issues at all. They were just like bureaucratic kind of things. But anyway, 
we, we did launch uh, the teaching ministry as a non-denominational effort. And that was not originally intended to be a church, really. We didn't think it would be a church. We just thought it's going to be a teaching ministry that would be, have a local expression and some travel. But it evolved into a church. And the, church, the group that was the largest was in Mobile. <clears throat> and there was a very small group that met here several months later. So the thing that started in Mobile was the bigger church or bigger group. And then we had a little group over here that met at our house. And uh, what's interesting is as things evolved and we just tried to be flexible to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you know, we couldn't exactly stay in any one location. We, we moved. And so um, in Mobile, every, every time there was a move, uh, we had what you might call the incredible shrinking group. Uh, there were just, it just didn't grow, and, and you could mark it by the moves. Anyway, I never understood that. But um, they're wonderful people, great people, and I still meet with that group of people on Sunday morning. It's just a smaller group. On the other hand, the small group that started a few months later over here grew and became a more consistent group and a more consistent church fellowship. We also over here moved several times, and the most recent was uh, the storefront at Ball and Square. Um, back in the fall, however, last, uh, it's not a year yet, but, you know, we're coming on to a year, I connected with Mark uh, and with Scott, too, mm -hmm. remember? And we started fellowshipping and talking and uh, praying together. And uh, I'd known Mark. Uh, but not well, and um, so I was just really thankful to get to know him, and I didn't have any particular agenda in uh, connecting with him or Scott Davis when we would fellowship and talk. It was just really refreshing. There was just a whole lot of grace that flowed between us, and I enjoyed it, and there was uh, a um, strong degree of openness that what he was talking about, you know, I tell you, we almost like from the very first time we ever, I guess from the first time, honestly, uh, there was just very, there was no, no pretense, no pretending, no anything. We just felt very uh, close to each other. Uh, I, I felt like I could trust Mark from the first moment I met him. Uh, it was just very encouraging. And uh, those times were strong spiritually. And as a result of that, I thought, I wonder if there's a partnership, if there's something more that God is saying. And so we were sort of thinking about that. We talked about it. We prayed about it. And not knowing, not trying to fill in those blanks, just wondering, is there something we can do? Uh, because there was so many similarities. The size of the group, the fact you were meeting in a space like this, you bought this, but we were renting, but it was a similar space. The similar beliefs, similar vision, just a lot of things corresponded and intersected. So much so that I just kept saying, Lord, is there something that you're saying about this that we haven't heard? And one of the things that I have believed for a very long time now is really there's only one church. And it's the one Jesus is building. And he's got his people sprinkled out in these different places. And we, we ought not compete with each other, even though we do. We shouldn't. 
I've, I've always found that distasteful. Um, I kiddingly told some people the other day about the folks that came to me and said, uh, we're leaving your church and going to another church. And I said, can I go with you? <laughs> Where are we going? And they said, no, you don't understand. We're leaving because we don't like you. And I said, well, I don't like me either. Can we go? <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but you know, there's only one church, isn't there? And so I ought to be excited where God's doing something. But anywhere he does it. But that also, I will say, made me feel, wow, we're already a part of each other. We're already... We're already saying so many of the same things. We already believe the same things. And then everything got put completely on hold because of the virus. I mean, your life, my life, our lives, everything. I mean, it's just, and so we just, we kept praying about it, but that was it. That's just all we did. And now we have resumed these, you know, talking about it and praying about it. And when we believed, that, our, and when I say we, myself and our leaders particularly, came to the realization that it really was not feasible for us to continue to pay for that 12,500 square foot rental space. It just wasn't feasible because 20 people were coming and the rest online. And no, no way to know when that would change, if it would and when. I mean, I believe it will, but you know what I mean? And so month after month after month, you think, golly, you're going to throw that money at this big space, utilities, all the stuff in a rental facility, not even investment, right, except for the immediate um, benefit of having a, a spot. Uh, we just decided we would just ask our landlord to release us from that contract, which was a three-year contract. And we'd, we'd spend about $50,000 fixing it up because it was a laser tag place, and all the walls were black. I don't think I could have worshipped the Lord in there. I mean, maybe, but it would have been a stretch. Anyway, so we did a lot of work. But, you know, guess what? Those people let us off the hook. You talk about an answer to prayer. They could have pressed that, couldn't they, legally? I mean, I got lawyers and judges in our church, and they were like, well, I don't know if we can get out of that. But they let us. Praise God for that. And so a lot of things have lined up and pointed this way. Um, that's kind of the back story. I will tell you this, too. Uh, the thought of becoming an associate pastor and working for and with Mark, I consider that to be an honor. Okay? A, a super, I mean, really, to, be on, to work with a, a man of integrity, Man, not, you don't hear sermons like this just anywhere. I'm just telling you. I mean, you guys, you understand what you got. But, but there's a lot of places that don't hear this kind of teaching. And, uh, and I, I, for one, am thankful for that. And uh, I trust Mark. And I, uh, so far, I'm just, uh, I just feel like there's a green light in my spirit about it. That sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? I really think this is a cool thing to do. Okay. 
It's hard for me to sound spiritual. I'm just telling you. But uh, but anyway, that's that's that. Thanks for that, Brad. And and I'll just say from my perspective in this, um, ditto to a whole lot of, of what Brad just said. It's been a joy to get to know him better personally and to get to know the, the leadership team at Graceport. You've got a, a really strong leadership group. Just uh, it's, it's been very, very encouraging to get to see what God's doing there and to realize it truly looks like two sides of the same church already to see the two congregations and what we believe and what we're about. When um, when we began to really press into this this summer, on the one hand, it seems like, man, this could be the most easy, natural, no-brainer. And on the other hand, it's like, if you were going to diagram the worst plan ever for when and how to go about this in the middle of a pandemic, when 85% of your people aren't even in the building... And you're going to talk about merging churches? That sounds like the biggest nonsense idea you could ever come up with. I mean, I'm telling you, I've done a, a deal like this once before, and it, it had some challenges, but it worked. But I would have never dreamed going through that in a pandemic, and here we are in a pandemic. So there's a big part of me that's like all about this, and yet there's a part of me in the natural going, this is crazy timing. Why, should, why would we do this now? And yet... I felt like the Lord was really nudging us toward this. And then as we were talking and praying about this, and in June I knew Brad already had a lot on his plate. And then when I heard the third Sunday in June that, that your mom passed away and that you were going to be doing her funeral the following Saturday, and I just felt an overwhelming sense. We need to reach out right now and just say, would you just invite your congregation to please come and let's just take July and you catch your breath and let's just worship together. There's no commitment. There's no strings. There's no agenda. Let's just see what God does as we worship together. And so if it felt like that happened on a moment's notice, it did. It happened in one conversation at that point. Because I mean, yes, we've been praying about it, but we weren't praying about getting together in the, the month of July. And anyway, so that, that's why there was a quick announcement, and we began to worship together. And it didn't take very long as we were doing this to just begin to, to sense something seems really right. And Brad began to talk with his leadership group and me with ours. And the more we looked at this, the more we saw the things that it sure seems like we could do better Amen. together. A part of that is very much tied to the strengths of each church. We share a lot in common, but there are also some things that are different that that's a, a win and a good thing. And I think a lot of that's reflective of our gifting and our personalities. I mean, churches tend to reflect the strengths and weaknesses of the leadership of the church. And as we talked and got to know each other better, I realized some of the things that I'm weakest at, Brad's really strong and gifted at. He, he has the heart and gifts of an evangelist. He's got the people gifts. He's got the, the gifts for being out in the community and mobilizing the church to connect in the community, to attract unchurched people. Those are really significant. Brad's got a huge heart and gifting for ministering to the least of these right here. That matches up so well to the heart of our church, but it also fills in some significant gaps for us. There are other things that, that we're strong at and, and called to in Freedom Church. And the more we looked at it, the more we just realized these things fit together so well. If you could marry these, these strengths up, a really strong church 
could emerge from that. A church that has an opportunity for far greater impact here in the community, but also far greater opportunities for impact globally. And we feel very strongly about both of those things. And so that's driven a lot of... Uh, a lot of where we are now. I, I'm just curious what you share about what you see in you know, terms of working I, you know, together. I believe that uh, Mark's uh, reading it right. I think um, we um, we have we have had opportunity to minister to people who dropped out, who got disillusioned with church, who got hurt by somebody along the way, who never went. Um, just an interesting mix. It's very diverse. They're older people. We don't have a whole lot of young people. What what happened with our youth group? We had a pretty strong youth group, and then everybody graduated from high school, and that was that. <laughs> we didn't we didn't have any young ones coming along, so we just kind of put that on hold. But we have done that, and you have a youth ministry, which is exciting to me. Uh, we've done small groups. Ken's got a great Bible study uh, that he does on Sunday morning, and I've done. I do a Bible study on Tuesday afternoon online, but um, we we need a small group ministry, and you have one. I mean, you know, it's that kind of stuff. We have a real heavy um, desire to minister in missions, and our, most of ours have been in Honduras, but I really love the idea of church planting even better. I like that because personally, that's almost all I've ever done along the way. Even when I was an associate pastor, I was asked, to plant a church inside that one. So I asked the pastor, are you kidding me? Are you are you ready for things to like blow up? But uh, it worked out for seven years. So uh, I think it is a, I do think that gifts, and I have a job uh, now um, working in Mobile with uh, released inmates in a ministry called Ransom Ministry. Some of you may have heard of it, but um that I asked the Lord not too long ago. I said, "And is this on Facebook? This is on Facebook." Mm-hmm. You know? Well, okay. But I asked the Lord um, <laughs> if if I was just going to ma- mainly just take care of middle class white people the rest of my life. <laughs> not that I don't love middle class white people. I mean, I am one. But I kept thinking, <laughs> I kept thinking, is that it? And he, you know what he said? And this is honestly, this is what the Lord said. No. no. <laughs> That was it. Oh, okay. And then the Lord opened the door to do the thing in Mobile, and it's uh, very diverse. And um, people that have been in jail, prison a long time, just coming out trying to find a uh, new life. And so I'm really privileged to have that relational connection, which gives me a personal outlet, but also that, that intersects with church ministry because people in our fellowship are, are helping to mentor some of these uh, mm-hmm. returning citizens, we call them, interns. Isn't that cool? Yes. And so Amen. I just think all of this, all of this, uh, it, it makes a strong picture if you step back and look at it. But, but believe me when I say, I don't think Mark or I uh, would dare try to make it happen. I've done that already, and I just don't want to ever do that again. Um, I had a, I had, uh, I see pictures sometimes when I'm praying, and uh, in in one of those moments, I saw a picture of a blank, a blank canvas, you know, on an easel. There's nothing on it, 
and uh, and I felt like the Lord was saying, "You don't have to paint the picture. I will." And the next thing I saw was a person sitting on a stool like this, painting. But Jesus was standing behind the person and had his hand on their hand. Isn't that a cool picture? Mm-hmm. The reason I know that was from the Lord, I would have never thought of that. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, all I think about is cornbread and peas. And I get this <laughs> picture, and I'm like, whoa, that's cool. But see, the problem is, when, my, my biggest problems were when I tried to give me that paintbrush and let me do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't, that's not what's going on here. We're not trying to paint a picture and sell something to you and say it's got to be this way. We're trying to allow God to do something, and we think we're hearing it. We think we're hearing it and seeing it. Which, you're up to speed. That is where we are. To be clear, no decision has been made other than from week to week to continue worshiping together week to week. And to bring it before you and say, this is what we've been talking about. This is what we've been praying about. This is what we're sensing at this point. But we realize there is no final confirmation of the matter until the body of Christ has been able to pray together about this and talk about it. And then we make a decision out of that. So next Sunday, this same time, we'll gather like this. But we'll spend a good chunk of time, not you listening to us go on and on, but... uh, you having an opportunity to share your thoughts, to ask your questions. Everybody will have a card in your bulletin. You can write down thoughts, comments, questions, and we'll respond to those here. Those of you watching and listening online, you'll have an opportunity to Facebook those in, and we'll respond to as many of those as we can. So what we're about to do is going to be a little bit different for the final little portion. We're not quite done here, but we're in just a moment we're going to uh, cut the broadcast And let me say to those of you who are watching online, really hope that you'll join us next week. We appreciate you tuning in today. Don't want you to think that you're being cut out of anything here. But because there's a personal nature to some of the last part of what we're going to share, and out of respect for everybody involved, we we didn't want to broadcast that on social media. And so uh, right now you'll see on your screen a couple of email addresses. If you're a part of the Freedom Church family, you're receiving an email right now with a letter from me. If you're a part of the Graceport family, as soon as the service is over, you'll be getting an email from Brad that sums up everything we've just talked about and that also sums up what we're about to go into. If you don't get that email, then you can email uh, one of those is to Beth at myfreedomchurch.net. So if you're in the Freedom family, you don't get an email in the next couple of minutes, email Beth and she'll immediately shoot that to you. If you don't get one from Brad, shortly after the service, email him at the address you see at the bottom of the screen, and he will get that to you. So thank you so much for tuning in this week, and we look forward to sharing more with you next week. Hope that you have a great week.